guys for the enthusiastic applause. <laughs> I think that's one of the markers of our church's awkward applauses. Um, but we do it well, so that's good. Um, yeah, so if you guys don't know me, my name is Jay. I am one of the pastors here on staff at One Life City Church, and so I want to welcome you guys, uh, those online, welcome. Those of you guys outside, the windows are closed, I can't see you. Uh, welcome. It is good to know that people are behind my back looking at me through a TV screen. And so, it's yeah, we're, we're doing it. And, um, and it's amazing, again, that, you know, a year, year and a half, so many things have changed. Because prior to COVID, it was just a setting. And all you could see is one another like this. But now, you get a choice of being online, inside, outside, or you can just watch this later whenever you want. Um, but that's, you know... Uh, kudos to the AV team and all that for, for getting us to where we're at. So yes, um, today we are kicking off a new series. Um, it is through the Gospel of Mark. And just to give everyone a heads up, this series will take 12 weeks to go through. And we'll take a brief intermission in September so that we can get kind of like a spiritual breather from Mark. Uh, and then we'll finish the rest of the book. And so I want to give, before I you know, kind of jump into it, I want to give credit to Jay Lee, who is sitting outside for his work on crafting this Mark sermon series. If you guys don't know, there are various folks on the, uh, the teaching team uh, that have taken lead on shaping and, and crafting and outlining uh, the different sermon series for this year. And Mark is the one that Jay Lee's worked on. So, brother, thank you. I don't know how you see me, but thank you for your work and your love for our church uh, and, and doing so much of this. And I don't even know, I don't even think you're, you're preaching in this series. Um, so thank you for doing that. So um, Mark was interesting to study, and I, you know, I've never really studied it. I've read it, but never really studied it. And what's interesting about the gospel of, Mark, uh, gospel of Mark is that it was the most neglected gospel in the early church. It was almost six centuries until the first commentary was written on the book of Mark. And part of this neglect was due to how short Mark's gospel was compared to Matthew, Luke, and John. Mark only has 16 chapters, and in those 16 chapters, almost 90% of the stories are also found in Matthew and Luke. Not only is Mark shorter compared to the other gospel accounts, but the pace of the overall narrative pushes forward pretty fast. It's like a good action movie that keeps you engaged in the story. There's a sense of urgency as Mark pushes the narrative along. And so we've got to wonder, what was Mark's urgency about? What was he trying to communicate to those who would receive his gospel account that maybe wasn't a focus of the other gospel accounts? See, Mark doesn't do anything fancy in his account of Jesus that isn't also communicated in the other gospels. He talks about Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. But where Mark is slightly different from the other accounts is the way he depicts Jesus' disciples. Mark is brutally honest about the failures of the disciples. He highlights the ways they misunderstand Jesus and the nature of his mission and purpose on earth. Mark also does something interesting in his, in his account. He highlights the religious and social outcasts as outsiders and the ones who encounter Jesus and are shown to have true faith and receive his blessings. Did you guys catch that? 
It was the outsiders and the rejects who actually displayed true faith in Jesus. Friends, there are some hard truths to come to terms with as we look at the current state of the church, especially here in America. A large portion of the church seems to be missing the, the true nature of Jesus' mission and what he has called the church to be and do in this world. And if you're wondering what I mean, just look at where the church was at in the racial tensions, in the political divisions, and especially in the response of the pandemic and the health measures that are in place to keep everyone safe. And those are just to name a few things over these last couple of years. But my, my goal isn't to just point fingers at the church today. That, that's, um, we've been doing that. that. That could be fairly easy. Because if we're going to be brutally honest about how things are on the Big C Church, then we also need to be deeply honest about our part in it. I don't know about you guys, but dude, I miss it. I miss it when it comes to living out Jesus' mission and what he has called us to do. The person sitting next to you has also missed the point of Jesus' mission and his purpose on earth. We are all implicated in this. And so the answer, it's not to just try harder, like, hey, i got to get my faith going, i got to get this on. Like, we need to pray more, right? And by the way, who all showed up to the prayer meeting on Wednesday? There's a raise of hands. <laughs> right? Rayanne and Elliot and I think Julia. So I didn't raise my hand, but I did leave uh, the AC on when I left at 6.30. <laughs> so you guys are welcome for that. See... It's not to serve more, and it's not to have more faith when we pray. That all just leads to self-righteousness. We need to dig a little deeper to what it means to actually follow and be a disciple of Jesus. And our chapter today in Mark 1 gives us a perfect starting place. So let's jump in. Let's, uh, let's do this. Let's actually read the scripture together. This is a practice that Jay Lee started that I just I absolutely love. So... We'll read what's on the screen, so we're all reading the same version. Um, and so, yeah, so if you guys are outside or online, feel free to do the same, too. So here we go. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing along the Sea of Galilee... He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Amen. <clears throat> My first gaming system was the Nintendo NES. You guys see it already. And, I, and this is the original console. This is the one that's back in the 80s, where you have to, you have to blow into the cartridge and you got to get it in right, like, perfectly in order for the game to actually load. 
And I remember how awestruck my brother and I uh, were when we finally got it. Because it had been out a number of years already before my parents bought it for us. And so when we finally got it, it was just like, yeah, we have it. Everything we had heard, seen, and dreamed about it was true and more. It was amazing. And I remember, okay, so we did get in trouble because we'd stay up all night playing, and our parents would be like, what are you guys doing? Go to bed. See, I imagine that this is just some of what people in Jesus' day would have experienced as they encountered Jesus and his kingdom being at hand. There were biblical prophecies, stories were circulating, and maybe people were seeing visions and dreams of the coming Messiah. But it wasn't until Jesus was there in the flesh that it was then tangible reality to them. What was longing, hoping, and praying before now became longing fulfilled, hope embodied, and prayer answered in the person of Jesus Christ. And I believe at the very core of what it means to follow or to be a disciple of Jesus is the reality that God's kingdom is near. And I would summarize the meaning of God's kingdom as everything that God desires to happen is happening. See, God's kingdom isn't just about forgiveness of sins and a ticket to heaven. That sounds great. That's what I was sold on or bought or told. God's kingdom is about victory over sin and death, where hope healing, restoration, and shalom are real and present. And this should shape the way I think and how I live because God's kingdom isn't just something I get to experience personally, but it should become a deepening reality to those around me. See, the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, this, uh, this is where, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to go back and kind of point some fingers at the Big C Church. And where the church is at today, I, I believe, is largely because discipleship isn't maturing the people of God closer to Jesus and the kingdom that, uh, and his kingdom. Instead, discipleship looks more like chasing after our perceived image of Jesus and the kingdom that serves our interests best. And this is why so many people have and continue to reject the church. Now, if you guys uh, aren't familiar with the kingdom language, it is very, very specific, right? It's not something that we all grew up with, like the kingdom of God. For one, a kingdom implies that there are people and that those people have a context of relationship together. In a kingdom, there is a ruler and who does scripture say that that ruler is? I heard a whisper. <laughs> Jesus, right? And like any other ruler, he has the authority to rule. Matthew 28 tells us that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. But unlike the earthly rulers, the pr our presidents, leaders, and those in power, Jesus doesn't rule as one that wields power for personal gain. It's not about him. His rule is much different, which is what the early disciples got wrong about Jesus and the nature of his mission. 
See, Mark 10, 45, and I think that might be up there, says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus is the servant king who suffered and died gruesomely on a cross, which in that time was more than just an instrument of punishment. For the Roman Empire, the cross was used as a symbol of power and their rule. The cross was displayed as publicly as it could be for everyone to see that the Roman Empire had control. Yet it's this Jesus who came with full power and authority, yet surrendered himself freely to the powers of this world. This all out of love and obedience to the Father, that we might be received back into the family of God. And so when you look back at the picture that was revealed about the disciples of Jesus, can we start to see why it was those who were considered outcasted and rejected as the ones who might more openly receive and welcome the invitation of, of Jesus to his kingdom? See, Jesus was the one that identified with the lowly, the needy, the outcasted. In Matthew 5, it says, Blessed are those poor in spirit, for theirs is... All right, good try. Good try. I'm trying to get us going here. For theirs is the kingdom of God. When you realize that the power in God's kingdom, that power in God's kingdom is more about humility and service, can we start to understand why the church today is missing the mark on the true nature of God's kingdom and his purpose on earth. See, a lot of what's happening in, in the larger church is really a, a, a shielding of power, a, um, a preservation of their power, right? And it comes out in the form of our personal rights. And so all the stuff that's mandated for the larger public health is really a fight and oppression of their individual rights. And if you compare that to what Jesus has done, you can see that that does not align with who God is in the kingdom that he revealed. And so it is in this kingdom that God says, it is near and I am with you. So what does it actually look like then to be called into this kingdom? Say you're willing to receive it. Say you're willing to walk into it. What does it actually look like to be called as a disciple of Jesus? I'm going to read through uh, the second part of this passage in Mark 1, so 16 through 20. So passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. There's several uh, very distinct markings of what it looked like to, to follow after Jesus, right? Where Jesus says, hey, come and follow after me. There's some distinct highlights uh, that I want to just bring out. And so I'm going to go through these fairly quickly, and then I have some closing thoughts. See, the relationship of, of rabbi and disciple, and this is a structure that was already in place in the Jewish culture. The way that that functioned was that it normally worked 
where the would-be disciples were the ones who sought out a teacher. But in our passage, what does Jesus do? He is the one that initiates the call to follow after him. Also, those who were called, uh, those who Jesus called, they were just doing ordinary work. All four of those guys, they were fishermen by trade. And so they were doing what they knew to do. And Jesus met them where they were at. The call to follow me was clear. You guys trace back to uh, the interaction of really what Mark uh, captured. Jesus was very clear. It's actually pretty short. Follow me. And Mark, in the second account, he didn't even include that dialogue. He just said, Jesus said, follow me, and they did. See, Jesus was not uh, misleading or confusing in his call to his disciples. It was clear. You are to follow after me. Another point is that Jesus' call to follow him was also an invitation to join in on his mission. And so even though they were called into something new and different, it was still connected to their experiences and their past. See, Jesus didn't call fishermen to go out then and become engineers. He said, you guys, your trade is, is to be fishermen. So I will then invite you into this vocation of becoming fishers of men. It was in a context that they knew and that they understood. And the same for us that when Jesus calls us, he doesn't take us out of where we are and put us in a completely, utterly foreign and absolutely distant space. There's still connection. There's a, a fluidity, fluidity to the call that Jesus has in our lives. And the last thought is this. The response of the disciples, it wasn't a private choice. See, Jesus was calling them into a group that had also responded to the call. See, a lot of what the American church has done is flipped it into this individualistic response and experience. That it's really about, hey, you got to follow Jesus. Hey, you got to follow Jesus. And if you don't, you're going to go to hell. So you better follow Jesus. And at the end of the day, when it comes to this larger experience, this corporate experience, it becomes awkward. Because the framework is not in a body of people. The framework is in an individual experience. That is not God's kingdom, and that's not the family he calls us into. See, as we look at all of that package together, <clears throat> if I can kind of synthesize a little bit of what uh, it, it looked like for discipleship to be happening where Jesus calls them, where it is, uh, Jesus' initiative, where it is in the very ex uh, ordinary, common experience of life, where it is Jesus meeting them on their terms. What that looks like for us is, we, is one of the things that we could take away is that discipleship is an everyday and every, every season response to the invitation to Christ, from Christ to follow after me. See, discipleship happens in our homes with our family. It happens in our relationship with our spouses, our kids, our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates, and so on, and so on, and so on. And if you get the picture, discipleship is an everyday choice that we make. It is both lived out personally, and it is affected corporately here. 
And another thought that kind of came to mind um, you know, as, as I was looking at all of this was the idea of, of how do we actually engage God's kingdom. And Mark says that it's to repent and believe. One of the things that I've kind of been stuck on really um, as I thought about this is that so often the church has made that idea of repenting and believing simply about that initial engagement into relationship with Jesus, and we've kind of just left it at the wayside. See, repent and believe is a built-in mechanism to be back in right relationship with God, as well as to go deeper into relationship with Jesus. Right, if we're super honest, do we all get it wrong? Well, I have those days, right? We might turn away from God's intent and pursue our own desires. That's happening in the church. We will sin, right? That's uh, not alarming for you guys, but we sin. But can we believe that we are freely received back by Jesus, and all that we need to do is simply to repent and to believe in him? That's the amazing thing that blows my mind. And so to repent and to believe, to receive Jesus' invitation to the kingdom, it's not just for the first-time believers. But it's this mechanism that God says, hey, this is how you go deeper into my kingdom. Is you're living it out when you miss it, when you misunderstand, when you go your way, when your heart hardens. All you got to do is turn back to me, and I'm right here waiting for you. The other thing is that, um, kind of a closing thought, there's an urgency, and, and you know, I've been kind of dwelling on this and, and not fully sure what exactly uh, the urgency was about, but it, it kind of sank with me for a bit. What I realized was um, COVID-19, the pandemic, has made the urgency feel more like anxiety. Instead of urgency for more of Jesus, there's an anxiety that I don't want to have some experience, right? And it's become this convoluted uh, kind of feeling of what's going on internally. But at the core, God says urgency is good. Because urgency shows that you need and you want more of God. And if we're honest, if we could take a look, good look at what's happening, dude, we need healing in our families, our marriages, our friendships, and probably more, more personally, in ourselves. Healing needs to happen. But oftentimes, in the state of being, we are tired. And so to do the work feels like another thing to do, feels like another obstacle, feels like another hurdle. Yet God's saying, hey, I, I want healing for you. I'm ready to do it for you, but I need you to show up. And that's the urgency that I, I, I kind of found some clarity in, right? And here's kind of the last thought that I want to leave, with this, uh, leave us with, and then I have some reflection questions. The faith we are called to today is one where Jesus says, look, I know what you're feeling. I know where you're at. I know where you've been. Because I've been there too. Right? And this is reflected in the, the servant leadership of Christ, in his suffering, in his death, in his identity with, right? And that list goes on and on as we read through all of the gospel accounts. Jesus identifies with his people. But the beautiful thing is that we, we don't have to trust in faith to, to wait expectantly for that to happen. We have that written in the gospel accounts. And so the faith is to believe that Jesus has done that for us, for you, for me, that I can receive it freely.
So even for today, if you haven't received the hope and the healing of Christ, would you do that? Wherever you're at, if you have never repented, today could be that day for you, right? So here's a few reflection questions that I want to leave with us, uh, leave us with um, to kind of think through. And the first is this. How is our awareness of the nearness of God's kingdom? If Jesus says, my kingdom is at hand, it is ready for you, are we aware of that? In our day-to-day, do we recognize that God's kingdom is there? And if not, what keeps us from being more aware of his kingdom? Is it tiredness? Is it kids? Is it anxiety? Whatever it might be, those are all valid. But those don't have to be an obstacle to you experiencing more of Jesus. God says, hey, I, I, I know it. Hey, take it. Give it to me. The last one is this. What would help us to live more into God's kingdom in all the areas of our life? And this is a tricky part. Because it's easy to give areas of our lives that we're willing to give to Jesus. But the areas that we're holding on to that we don't want to give... Although it's okay, we're not forced into it, that does hold us back from experiencing more fullness of God's kingdom. So what would it look like? What would help us live more into into God's kingdom in all areas of our life? And as we do that, we'll experience a greater fullness of God's gift, of his grace, of his love, of his truth, his mercy, so on and so on. So let's pray. We acknowledge the nearness of your kingdom, Lord Jesus, that when we sing songs, you are worthy of it all. That is absolutely true. Because you lived in full obedience and full surrender out of humility, out of love for the Father and for your people. You lived a perfect life here on earth. But at the same time, you experienced the fullness of suffering. You, you experienced the fullness of death. And so for those that are hurting, for those that are lost, for those that are hardened of heart, you know what that feels like. You know where people are at. You identify with them. And at the same time, in your still quiet voice, you say, here I am. Here I am. And so, Lord, would you be the one that ministers to your body, to your church, God, would you move in our hearts to soften to you, to acknowledge, to confess the areas, God, that we've held on to, the ways, God, that we've turned from you, and help us to acknowledge, God, that you invite us to turn to you, to repent and to believe again and again and again and again and again. That you don't lose patience with us, Lord. So God, I praise you for your word. Um, I thank you for the work that you're doing in us. And I pray for more of it, Lord. That your truth would sink deeper and deeper into our hearts and that that would be how we experience freedom. Because you live in us. So we pray these things boldly and faithfully in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Would you guys be blessed, church? And I invite Pastor Dave. All right, so um, 
Great to be here with you all. Um, just want to share a few thoughts before we uh, jump into communion. So if you don't have your communion cup yet, um, you can uh, connect with my lovely wife, uh, Vivian, um, who's passing them out. So again, um, thanks, thanks so much, Pastor Jay, for today's message. I'm super excited about this 12-week series on the book of Mark. Uh, where we get to go deep into the Word of God, where we start preaching, some expository preaching, going verse by verse, getting into the literary, uh, into the historical context of the Word of God, and all that good stuff, kind of like the traditional Bible preaching. And we do this at our church as well, because the Word of God is central to our values, it's central to our life, and we view uh, the Word of God as the highest authority in all matters relating to life and salvation. And scripture really is to us the final word and our ultimate authority, period. So even when we don't like what scripture says, we are still in submission to the authority of the word of God. Because the word of God is the highest authority, again, of all of life and all of salvation. And yet at the same time, Scripture, even though it's our highest authority, it's actually not our only source of knowledge that we look at, right? And the reason behind this is because, and, and I think a lot of uh, the people in our church are kind of aware of this, a lot of you are aware of this, and the reason behind this is because, um, because of human sinful nature, um, our, 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 us humans, we will have a tendency to read Scripture with bias, Right? Um, <clears throat> have you guys ever observed yourself or observed other people read and apply and interpret, interpret scripture with bias to their own preferences, to their own perspective, and also, I might add, to their own benefit, right? Um, have you experienced churches and Christians where you might have asked, uh, topics where the word of God actually presents a very balanced story but that person will only emphasize one section because it is consistent with their own kind of perspective and it will actually benefit them more, right? And we at our church, we hold these two things in tension, recognizing that while scripture is our highest authority, that we, on the other hand, are not perfectly unbiased when we wield and interpret scripture. And this is actually one of the reasons why we value so much having multiple voices speak at our church because when we have multiple perspectives, we can minimize some of the biases and we can minimize some of the kind of um, blind spots that we might have. Because it's very easy to say, well, this part of scripture doesn't, or this, this suffering in, this, in the world, it doesn't affect me, so it doesn't really matter, right? And if the only people speaking up here are from that perspective, guess what? We miss out on a lot of the experiences that our neighbors are going through and a lot of the experiences that the people of God, other parts of our family of God are going through. So it was kind of funny. Um, uh, we're, uh, oh, no, I won't go into that because we don't have too much time. But um, one of the things that I did want to briefly talk into is I want to present a, a topic that I'll probably speak on a, a lot more in the future. And this is, and Jay uh, wonderfully uh, introduced this idea. And the idea is, that the, uh, is this, that the real life, the real Christian life, we believe in our church, is both now and the future. So we care about what's going on right now in front of us 
as much as we care about what's going in the future. And I think that's one of the blind spots that many of our spiritual upbringings may have neglected, where we just emphasize, well, you know, it doesn't really matter what's going on here in the world because we have heaven and to look forward to. It doesn't matter what hap- uh, if people are suffering, if there's systematic injustice, as long as we save their souls for the future. And for us, we're not about to ditch the future because that's still our anchor, but we also care about what's going on right now uh, with our neighbors. The last thing I wanted to mention is uh, from the very uh, final verse of the passage that Pastor Jay spoke on, uh, and it, left a, it really resonates with something, a lot of things that I'm thinking through and reflecting on. And I was just reflecting on how the sons of Zebedee, when they saw Jesus, I think as scripture says, they left everything, including their father, including their boats, they left everything and followed Jesus. And for me, I'm, I'm actually in the midst of this uh, you know, one to two week period where I'm reflecting and assessing my life and kind of re, um, reassessing my direction in life. And I have a potential, you know, large life decision that I could potentially, we're not moving guys, don't worry, we're, we're very committed to this church. Um, but it is a, a potentially life kind of altering decision. And what has helped ground me in my discernment process that I'm still in the middle of is the question, um, you know, if I, if I weigh uh, the, if my, the thing that I weigh the most is following Jesus, how would that guide and anchor my decision here? If the most important thing uh, that matters to me is that I'm following Jesus, like how would that actually shape my decision-making process? Because for me, I love analyzing like 50, 60 different concepts or like, you know, uh, like when I buy... Uh, when I buy video game systems or when I buy stuff, I'm the guy who analyzes all the things and like, you know, puts it all in the spreadsheet and then, you know, then kind of rank orders stuff. And, and uh, that's fun and it's great, but I feel like you can easily get lost uh, if, uh, without asking this more fundamental question. So for those of you who may similarly be discerning through uh, some significant life changes, significant life directions, I just want to leave you guys with this similar encouragement of, you know, if the first and the most important consideration in your mind is what, is what does it look like ultimately for me to choose to follow Jesus, I want to encourage you to take um, that route. And uh, as Jesus asked this question for himself while he was on earth, um, his decision-making process actually led him to die on the cross for our sins so that we could be redeemed. And, and uh, that's the whole point of what we remember, uh, what we want to do here as we remember and take in the elements here. So if you can bring out your elements and pull out the bread on the top. This bread is made from many grains from many fields, yet was formed into a single loaf. In the same way, we are from many cultures and many places, but we are one body. This communion is a reminder that the body of Christ was broken so that we would be made one in him. The body of Christ broken for you. Let us respond with the following. The body of Christ broken. Also, the juice of this cup contains many vines made by many hands, yet it pours freely. In the same way, let us pour ourselves freely, just as Christ modeled for us. The cup of Christ Pour it out for you. Let us respond with the following. The Christ poured out.
let us respond together. Though we partake now from a distance, and we long for the day to partake together in person, and though we partake now with partial satisfaction, we long for the full feast at the eternal table in the presence of God. Let me close our time in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for uh, what you've modeled um, in your life here on earth. Thank you for uh, what uh, the people of God have modeled throughout Scripture. And here, uh, Lord, we pray especially for those of us who are facing um, life decisions, whether small, medium, or large, life decisions that, um, that are very much on our heart, that are weighing on our heart. And I pray, Lord, that you, you might encourage all of us from your word of God, looking at the example of the sons of Zebedee here. As Jesus approached them, for them to um, look to Jesus above all else and leave everything they had to follow him. Lord, let that be a model for us to demonstrate the same focus, commitment, and dedication to follow you. And as we begin to enter into a new year, school year, for many of us teachers and students, I pray, Lord, that, <clears throat> that this can be an anchor for us in how we live our lives with you and with each other in this coming year. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.